This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Finish Line Script Competition. In its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is the only script competition run by ex-literary managers. Six-plus pages of actionable development notes are available to you, or you can submit your script as is. Scripts can be rewritten and resubmitted for free anytime throughout the competition. Over 40 mentors read and meet with the winners, and the competition staff itself works with many semifinalists on getting their material read throughout the industry. They are here to help writers succeed by improving your script along the way and making sure you get opportunities when your material is ready. So check out what's happening at finishlinescriptcomp.com, now open for submissions. This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is also brought to you by the Tyrota Finish Line Social Impact Script Competition. It's back for a second year in a row. The competition will again celebrate film and television scripts that seek to raise awareness and inspire change regarding urgent issues with critical relevance across our society now, such as racial, gender, or economic inequality, climate change, drug addiction, the broken foster care system, gun violence, and much more. The competition especially encourages submissions from historically underrepresented writers. The Tyrota Finish Line Script Competition runs from January 18th through June 10th. Please go to Film Freeway and learn how to submit your script. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Well, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Lisa? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. Okay, I promise you, y'all, Some one of these days, I'm going to come up with a new catchphrase. We'll get it together. Every time yeah, we come we get... up with a catchphrase, we, we get it stolen by people. So <laughs> Every time. It's crazy. That's every time. It's like every yeah. time. So you know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we just we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Mm. You hear her voice, Lisa Bolakaja, yes. in the and, building. And listen, I tried to dress up today because I'm wearing my Star Trek Discovery <laughs> shirt. Because I know Kim worked on there and wrote some episodes. So it's like I'm wearing my Star Trek Discovery <laughs> t-shirt like i have my ahura my yellow ahura one but i thought no 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 it's star trek discovery so let me put that one on so i'm dressed up today are <laughs> so you cute today i'm cute today i'm not in my exactly. jam it's sunday it's sunday so i'm not in my jammies like i usually am curled <laughs> up so i thought the least i can do for for you know for camp is like to at least right. put on some decent clothes and sit up <laughs> yeah well I, well I appreciate you putting on the shirt from the show which i got fired that, that's always a, and you that's know always what a and you know what that's the petty in me, because it's like, you know what? <laughs> they always want to get rid of the good people. It's like, you know, I don't care. I don't know. You was there. 
you did your thing. <laughs> you were there, you did your thing. You know what? Forget them. I'm still wearing the shirt because I know some folks was on there and you did what you had to do and you yeah. moved on. I still got a lot of friends who recovery yeah. and um, you know, and it wasn't like a mean firing. It's just it was one of more one of those like, yeah, we don't really have anything else for you to do. So uh, oh, wait, oh, wait. We're going to not pay you anymore. Bye. Wait, wait. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't slam the door. They just kind of let it just kind of, that you know that soft slam where it's like. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. People, I think people think that in Hollywood, firing is usually like you're fired. And in actuality, it's usually way more nebulous than that. It's more like, we don't have anything for you to do. We don't, you know what I mean? Like there's really no. Very passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah. it's a very kind of yeah. like, you know, so. uh Bye, and you just kind of like take your picture off the wall and run down to the parking lot, and that you know do your thing. I was telling I was telling somebody the other day um, that you know we've all heard the rumor, you know you're 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 not anybody in Hollywood until you're fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And Lisa knows I was I was Joey P on this show a couple of years ago, um, and, and um, not going to say what the show is. You could look it up and figure it out pretty easily. Um, <laughs> and literally. Uh, the day before we go into production. Now, I ran the room. I created the scripts. Mm -hmm. I did all that, right? Mm -hmm. We get to production. We're about to shoot. And I kind of had a little tiff with one of the suits. Mm -hmm. They're in the middle of talking and we're in the middle of the rehearsal. I'm like, guys, you know, you want me to run the set? Let me run the set, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I was being really nice and blah, blah. And they kept going. I turned and I was giving them that eye. They say, I know the next day, they're like, thank you very much. I was like, really, bitch? Y'all oh, going? Wow. Well, that show never happened. Nothing ever happened with that show either. See, you yeah. can't, you can't, you can't take out the thing that made it work in the first place. Yeah. You can't. A lot of shows have, have, have learned that lesson the hard way. It's like, <laughs> but for me, it was like, you know, all of us knew that like the writing was on the wall so far in advance that we all knew we weren't going to be kept around and that was just because oh, okay, right. you know there was a lot of upheaval the showrunner right. uh brian right. Fuller, who was the one who hired me right once got let go it was kind of like yeah he hired you kind of look at each other like well that's better be updating our <laughs> <laughs> <'Cause>, um <laughs> well, we know brian we know brian yeah, yeah. you know people they got their people and when you know new people come in they bring in their people and and, right. and it's okay it's just you know, I'm, I never, like I said, I'm still cool with all those folks and some friends of mine are there and even, you know, the, the folks who let me go, I'm cool with because, you know, this, this thing is, there's really no, if, if you, if you let these things cause grudges, then you're just going to have a life full of grudges because this is just the kind of shit that happens 100%. And, and it's very easy for people to forget. It's, 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 a, I tell people, it's like, man commodified art man like it is both a hundred percent business and a hundred percent art at the same time and those two things are were never meant to be so intertwined so it only helps that i used to be a journalist and i used to work at forbes that i'm actually like very empathetic isn't the right word like i get the business of it Mm -hmm. so getting the business of it allows me to not take 90 percent of stuff personally the way i think a lot of my peers do the only time I take it personally is when it's literally personal, when they're just like, I'm going to ruin you. Like, and that just, mm-hmm. that, that rarely actually happens. You know? And I think, and I think, and I think it also comes from the, the fact that, you know, you came from a career outside of it coming through, you know what I mean? And it's like, you've been grown. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I didn't come up in here like you trying to tell you know, like I'm, I'm some youngin that have to like, look, I don't have a life. 
Yeah. <laughs> so theater. I mean, you you think there's barriers in Hollywood? Oh, go to God. theater. Go to the stage. But listen. So com- compared listen. to theater. Hollywood looks downright fucking egalitarian. So yeah. I'm, I'm more, <laughs> yeah. I'm able, I'm able to be more of a glass half full kind of guy right. in Hollywood. Which you know, you need both. We need some people who are going to be like burn this motherfucker down. You know, that was the whole point of One Night in Miami. You right. need both the you people. Need a, you, like, you need a, you need a Malcolm X. And you need Sam. <laughs> and you need yeah. a Sam Cooke. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, I was having this great conversation with a friend of mine. I was like, I don't know if y'all remember, there was, um, there was a, I think it was on HBO. But there was like a Jackie Robinson movie. It starred Blair Underwood as Jackie mm-hmm. Robinson. Yes, and it yes. had Elroy yes. Lindo as Satchel mm-hmm. Paige. Yes. And I remember that was very impactful because it acknowledged, even Jackie acknowledged, he's like, I'm not the best player in the Negro Leagues. Right. And Branch Rickey was like, we know that, but you're the best equipped to right. handle what you're going to have to deal with. Right. Yes, that temperament is better. Because Sa- Satchel is will wrap listen, a baseball bat around somebody. Listen, listen, listen. N word. Listen, the movie Forty Two would have been a whole lot different. Exactly. <laughs> Satchel, that baseball bat scene where he's hitting the thing, that would have been on somebody's head, not just yeah, on wall somewhere. And, you know what I mean? The temperament, you know, goes a long way, and like some of us are equipped for certain things better than other things. And and I like to tell people that like you know it's only I have a great deal of patience because. You know, I, I I get passive aggressive racism. I get all these things, and they don't mess up my day as much as they do other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just because, again, I was a journalist, so right. I got to spend 17 years um, dealing with a lot of that passive aggressive stuff, and right. still moving forward despite it. Um, right. So when you get me to the point where it's like I got to make a stink, you you know, people right. actually listen to me, right? You know, because right. I'm not making a stink about everything, so. Right thing people will say they're like you know when Kemp says it's a problem we listen because he's only going to say it's a problem when it's getting to like co-rep right that's that's fascinating Kemp Uh, I just went through something recently where I was at a studio network Mm -hmm. talking to them about so they were you know drilling me on questions and one of them is how do I handle certain situations right Right, right. so I gave them this instance very similar to what you're talking about about how I became the co-chair on the education committee of the Writers Guild with Jeff Melvoin. Mm. And I said, I've been in this group for, you know, seven, eight years. You better check on them beans. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing, yeah. You take a, take a, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing. Just, you know, so I know Kim, Kemp in there cooking his beans. With beans and rice, what else are you he doing? got some beans and rice. No, it's just, this is just, it's Sunday. It's just a pot of red beans yes. and rice for me to yes. snack oh. on. Yeah. Get it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, so I was telling the story about how for, you know, seven, eight years I've been on this, this, this uh, um, group at the Writers Guild. And I would sit there quietly listening. And for years, uh, Jeff would turn to me at some point and go, Hilliard, what do you think about this event? And I'd go, well, it's interesting. You know, on this committee, five years ago, we did something similar. Mm-hmm. You know, if it were now and the culture were in, it'd be better if we did this. Yeah. Thinking he'd go. Yeah, let's do what Hilliard said. Yeah, right? yeah. So I hear you on that. Sometimes you don't always have to fucking speak. Yeah. People think they have to. Speak yeah. when you have something to say. Yeah, man. Like, if I could, you know, I could regale you with tales of the shit that's been said and done to me all day and get you worked up. But for me, it's like, to what end? You know what right. I mean? Like, right. uh, I, I use it as instructional. Right. Um, I use it. It's informative. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and because again, like again, I'm a no no dude gets angrier than I do sometimes, but I really <laughs> try to like rein that in because my I, I spent a lot of my youth, and that's why this is for the youth to do. You know what I mean? I spent a lot of my youth in, as an angry, angry dude. <laughs> and it wasn't good for my health, you know? Right, right. And and once you kind of breathe, you gotta be like Mr. Miyagi about that shit. You know, mm-hmm. I was very co- I was very Cobra Kai in my twenties. Okay. Wax on, wax off, and Miyagi dose. <laughs> I was just like, Yeah, baby, wax on, wax, wax off. off. You know, like I'm the- <laughs> <laughs> and, and get, get more shit accomplished. Right. Wait, wait. Do we even even juice? Can we start talking? Hold on. Like, so, well, okay. I told him. Okay. That's what we do on the rant room. We just that that first 10, 15 minutes is us just talking listen, like we do in the writers listen, room. As soon as you said wrapping and rice, the shoes over here came off. I don't got comfortable. <laughs> I'm thinking I got some cornbread. I got some red beans and rice stuff in the house. I'm like maybe I should make that. I made some tacos. I have waiting for me after. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should have made some of them red beans and rice because I do. I do have the rice, I do got the cornbread, and I do have the essentials. <laughs> Kim, said <laughs> it is, Kim said it is Sunday, it's Clark's sister day. Right? And Clark's sister day. Listen. He is Listen. my living okay, day. Okay. <laughs> that is it. All right, so if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get to the show. So today we got my dude, Kent Powers, on the show. You guys know him from the movie, new movie, Soul, the other kick-ass movie, One Night in Miami. Writer, uh, co-writer of Soul, co-write, co-director of Soul, writer and producer of One Night in Miami, Kent Powers. What it is, my man? Welcome yeah, to the you. show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. And, indeed, indeed, indeed. Because I know you're out there right in the thick of it. So yeah. I know and you listen, got. I was shocked. Like last week, honestly, Hillary, when you said, "Oh, well, who we have next week?" Because you know, Kent, a lot of times we'll have ourselves. We'll chop it up, or then you know, people have stuff in their schedule. They'll come in and you know, chop it up with us. And when he said your name. One of the things about Hollywood and black folk is a lot of times when our black folk get real high up there, a lot of times they just don't have time. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so he said, we're going to have, and, th- and at first I thought I misheard him. And I'm like, <laughs> that's I'm my sorry, cousin, you know. And I'm like, really? I'm like, and I'm like, all the stuff just dropped. Like he's still talking to regular, the regular folk. Well, <laughs> so, well so, look, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's funny. You guys are actually wedged in between two, like, panels I'm doing today sure, but you know sure. the Hillier was smart in that we had this conversation about doing this before all, everything hit the fan right, and, right. and so much of this is just planning in advance now, so it's know, also I, you keeping your word and you keep yeah, your word I mean I'm a man of my word you, so camp there are four things I know about you and let me break these down before we get started okay <laughs> number Hello. one number one you have a superhero name and I think it's totally disrespectful <laughs> to be out here to be called Kent Powers and making the rest of us look bad. Like, I'm going to have to change my name. <laughs> Number two, you part of the Howard Mafia. Yes. Because all of my people that are out here and people I know and people who have really met, I think, I think it really is a Howard Mafia people. And y'all, y'all think I'm joking, but a lot of my writer friends and stuff, whenever I say, yeah, blah, 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 where'd they go? Howard? I'm like, ah, Howard Mafia. <laughs> the Bisons are in the house. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, number three, I was out. I'm trying to think. I think I might have been either out of the country or I was gone for the summer when One Night in Miami um, premiered as a play in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so upset because I heard about it. I'm like, okay, it's coming out. Because I think it was, was it 2012? No, no, no. Because I was 2013. in 2013 because I was in Clarion in 2012. So 2013. And I thought, I'm going to have time. 
And then I thought, okay, it's going to open. It's going to be here. And then four, it left and went to London or somewhere in Europe. And I was devastated (laughs) because one thing I do love besides film is I love theater and I love plays. And one of, and, and the characters that are in one night in Miami, they are four iconic black male heroes that when I was growing up, especially hanging around my stepdad's, um, his, his auto shop. You know, we have all these men from over the black men from all over the South hanging out. It's because that's what black men do. You know, mm-hmm. they not only hang out at barbershops, they also hang out at the auto shop when it's owned by a black man who's an ex-Muslim, <laughs> nation of Islam. So mm-hmm. I had a very interesting upbringing, which is basically my mom comes to Baptist background, very conservative, very Pittsburgh, you know. Oh, Pittsburgh. Okay. Yes. You know, so August Wilson, that kind of stuff. That, we that whole Pittsburgh too, you know. Yes. Yeah. What? Oh, did yeah. you? Yeah, we did the play in Pittsburgh about, um, it was last year. Um, oh, my right God. Before, it was about four or five months before the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I'm even more devastated because I could have went back. I could have went back home and saw relatives and took them to the play. So now you, that's the fifth thing you don't <laughs> add it to my thing. But, you know, it's, you know, and not only that, you know, going to leave and going to New York, but just, just the idea that you took like I said, this iconic photo. And so you'd always been on the radar and it was like, oh, I had plays and new writers. And I think the one thing that I got excited about when One Night in Miami first came out as a play was the excitement of a new voice and who's bringing something that for these four black iconic men that I grew up with who were such heroes to these black men. Like I literally, I would be like, my job in my stepdad's garage was I would put the powdery stuff down that would soak up the oil. Mm-hmm. And he'd pay me my Doritos and now later money to sweep that stuff up. <laughs> he would, like the Nation of Islam, he would take in brothers that may have had like prison records who had went in and, and needed a new start in life, gave them their first job, cleaned them up, got them together. So I would be riding my little banana bike, little, you know, bicycle all around because we had like this big lot. And I would listen to these black men. And I remember watching the Ali fights on TV. I remember them being so proud of Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. I remember them speculating on what happened to Sam Cooke. I remember them talking about, you know, just just what Muhammad Ali, like I said, all these men. So I, when the play came out, it was already on my radar in terms of, oh my God, these four iconic men. And I think what makes it so interesting now is the fact that the movie comes out at a time and soul too, because soul is dealing with a lot of cultural, black cultural stuff too. That for the fact that they both came out at the same time, because didn't they both come out on Christmas at the same time? Technically, yeah. You, I mean, That's it was rare. just in theaters. <laughs> One out of Miami came out on Amazon this weekend, but in theaters. But you know, not many. Not, it was just a handful of theaters. Right. Oh yeah. Right, and I think. Was that four or five? But the last thing is the fact that even though I hate first for black people, because I feel like this country, we've done so much and we shouldn't have a lot of first anything. The fact that you're one, you're the first black animated from Pixar who's put out something that has gotten so much critical acclaim, mm-hmm. that's huge. So I feel like your timing, there were some seeds planted for your work and for you I to agree. have the life that you have in terms of you to come out from being a writer for Forbes, from coming into the business from the outside and having a perspective that is not beholden to Hollywood, like you said, to have this kind of like life before you come into this life um, that I think is very unprecedented. And it's so timely, like both of these projects. Is there a question in there? 
I can't, long I, 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 I can't, you know what, let me just shut up, because I'm just sitting here just blowing. Like I said, I watched it, like, I was like, okay, it came out a couple days ago. Listen, listen, I'm just, I'm fangirling. I apologize, people. I'm not, I might not ever get to do this ever again, because now that you're going to blow up and probably win Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, nah, you know, you're going to get up there into that realm. Movies out. I mean, honestly, listen, you got to understand 2021, this, whole, this whole thing was, the fact that these movies even got finished under the circumstances is Listen, a miracle. So I've already been a recipient of two miracles in but the they were made, But they were meant to happen. Because yeah. I'm telling you, being up, like I got like, I've been telling people, I'm going to watch as soon as it comes out. And then I kept saying, oh, I'm not ready. I thought, well, let me try to push it as far as I can and watch it right before we talk to you. So it'll be fresh in my mind. And like yeah. I said, I watched it like early, early this morning. And I don't know if it's because it's the witching hour, but emotionally, it was like, I literally had to stop a few times just to cry. Mm. Because I felt like even though these things that they're talking about happened so long ago, the fact that it's so cyclical and we're in the midst of it yet again, right. not only did it hurt, but it gave me hope also. Good. Let's, I feel get like, Let's get let's into it. Let's get into it. Into it. Let's it's into like, it. this ain't new. This ain't new. <laughs> We've been through this. This ain't new. So I will yeah, shut up man. now and I will just listen. <laughs> so which uh, we know the play came first right but what came first for um going into production for you and uh, was it soul or was it i mean i finished the screenplay for the first draft of the screenplay for one night in miami i finished about four or five days before i started at pixar so that would have been like july or august 2018 so wow. And, and of course, I was thinking like, okay, that, and that shows you how circuitous the route is to get a movie made. That I made Soul, we were making Soul the whole time, and Soul was almost done before we shot One Night in Miami, which would wow. have been January and February of 2020 is when we shot principal photography on the film. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because the film got bought by Amazon literally a week before we a week or two before we went to the Venice Film Festival. So mm -hmm. people are seeing it, you know, and we're so lucky that that happened. It was so great to have that happen. But people see Amazon production. I don't think they understand that this was like the most indie, indie film. You know, <laughs> like we were, uh, like I jokingly say, like, you know, I, I, I can only imagine how many favors Regina had to call, call in, mm -hmm. you know, like, you, you know, I'm so happy she loved the script because based on the script alone, just because it was such an indie film, Without Regina um, and her name association, I wonder how hard it would, how much harder it would have been to get people to even audition for the film. And this Regina's been in the game for a long time, so she knows where all the bodies are. So yeah. I know she was like, <laughs> don't let me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, it was like, Regina wants you to audition. And they were like, word, and they came out. But, um, but this is really an independent, and it speaks so much to Regina, too, because, you know, she was... She was still shooting Watchmen when we first met. We did like a Skype. I was up in Northern California. She was in Atlanta. And we oh. did the Skype and talked about the script. But like after she won the Oscar, she could have done like the, uh, the wheel, the dump truck full oh, yeah. of offers of things to do, exactly. got backed up to her house, whether mm -hmm. she wants to admit it or not. And she had to tell everybody like, y'all all have to wait because the first <laughs> thing I'm going to do is this independent movie from this dude you never heard of right you know what i mean has like, she seen the right. play camp has she seen the play at all no, like she read it after she read the film script so okay. when we first spoke she had read the she read the play as well and she was like it was hard for her to believe the same person wrote both 
because, you know, my adaptation was really an adaptation. Like, I really kind of reimagined the whole thing. So, you know, the fact that she blocked out, like, as soon as we finished One Night in Miami, she was in New Mexico shooting The Harder They Fall. Like, her schedule, she just, she just managed to open up just enough time in the schedule to mm-hmm. get this movie done. And then it was like right back to all this other stuff. So that really speaks to her. But yeah, man, this was a this was an indie film all the way. I was at Pixar working, you know, the producers, you know, I did one revision of the play over the first year over of the film script over the first year I was at Pixar, because usually I could write a revision faster. But, mm-hmm. you know, Pixar is hardcore, busy schedule and it's exclusive while you're working there. So right. I had to get that was the other thing. I had to get a carve out, which I did in my contract saying that even though I was exclusive at Pixar, I had the freedom to at least work on one night in Miami. So, you know, usually like you can't take yep. like take that kind of stuff for granted. I wanted to make sure it was all above board and not mm-hmm. be like, oh, I'm secretly working on this kind of thing. It was like, nope. Right. They knew that I just written this script and they knew that while I was there, the one thing outside of Pixar I could do was do a, a revision on that script. So I I cleared that legally. And again, I say legally, your lawyer should be your best friend, man, um, in in this business more so even as much as your agent. Um, I got that cleared. So it took me about a year because I was so busy, did a revision of the script. That was the script that the producers decided to go out and find a director with. And and I think Gina might have been the first director they they got a hold of it because I think the producers um, it was it was at ICM. She had she was over at ICM. Um, we'd had a conversation and I was really excited about the idea of having a new director, um, mm-hmm. either a first time director or a first time feature director or someone who had just done maybe one indie film. Um, yeah. because there's a different kind of passion behind a project when you feel like this is the thing that can help me right. put my footprint, get myself on the map. And, I, and that's no disrespect to any big name directors, but like I know what it's like to be that scrappy writer. And I was like, if you get that director, where like you're, just, I'm like, you're just gonna get something better. You're gonna get something more because they'll have a lot on the line. So when I said new director, I never imagined that would end up being Regina King. But it was and just, I, and, I, and I love the fact that it's a black woman. Oh yeah, who is who's been in the business for a long time. Yep who's been getting a lot of acclaim within the last few years, even though she's been in the game for a long time. And the fact that it's this, and I think it's interesting, I, I, as I was watching and I finished it, and then I went back and kind of watched parts of it again because the dialogue was so, there were times where I was like, wanting to throw my shoe at the, the computer because <laughs> it was like, say that again, Jim Brown, God damn it, say it again. Um, I felt like the nuance, something about, because black women, we watch black men and the relationship we have with black men is just so unique and so powerful. Mm-hmm. So to have her, like I said, you could anybody could have come in and, and done this, but to have a black woman do it who might be able to bring in some nuances and things that somebody else might not, not bring, because I'm going to tell you yeah. some the, the acting in this thing because oh I'm, I'm very judgmental about some stuff. Because mm-hmm. I was like, How, who are you going to have to play all these iconic figures? Mm-hmm. And, and it was like, okay. And of course, one of my favorites, of course, everybody knows me as Malcolm X. And it's like, all right, how are you going to top Denzel? That is a superstar. How, how are you going to top Denzel? Yeah. And the and way, it's the most vulnerable depiction 
of Malcolm I have ever seen. No disrespect to Denzel, who's always going to be the GOAT. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the, the, the depictions, and I don't, you know, part of it is it is the writing, thanks to you. But it makes me feel like, in terms, did you have a lot to do with the, the cast? Or was that all Regina and your casting director? Because I feel like oh, I was, it was all hinging. For, like I said, that's why another great thing about being an executive producer as well is that mm-hmm. you're there for all of it. So, yep. you know, <laughs> we had long conversations, Regina and I, about each of these cast members and, and the, the pod, the pros and cons, you know, it was mostly pros, but just like what we, what she was looking for, what she was hoping to accomplish. Um, but I, I, I triple what you say in terms of like, it's a testosterone filled story mm-hmm. and adding a woman, particularly a black woman to be in charge of it all. And the story gets told in a different way in a mm-hmm. better way, in my opinion, like mm-hmm. subtle things too. Regina was obsessed with the color. Um, yes. Like I want this to not feel old. Yeah. I want this to feel young. Like my uncles, like, you know, like I want it to feel like recognizable <laughs> people to me. And there were all, there were so many different, I mean, the scene with Malcolm talking to his daughter um, mm-hmm. on the phone, I wrote it, but it came because Regina, through her network, her ladies network, reached out to Malcolm's oldest daughter, Ambassador Shabazz. Yes. Told her that. She was yes. like, my dad used to hide notes in books for me and <laughs> send me on. I love that. Yeah, moment. Listen, Regina listen. called me up and was like, you're not going to believe what I just found out from Ambassador Shabazz. And I was like, I pulled out my pen, like, eh, eh, lay it on me. You know what I mean? Like, Listen, I had it's to going in the movie. Kim, I had to pause the film because I'm a book person. And then to have your dad put little notes in the book, just yeah. those, those touches and those things. I was, I was like, the man. I didn't know that. that oh, was yeah. Cool. I mean, all yes. His camera. Those little things, man. I mean, it was so, you know, and it's funny because I remember, I don't even know if, I think I had this conversation with Regina, at least with one of the producers. But one of the things that excited me was one of my favorite movies. And this is just like what I was hoping for happens for Regina, which it seems like it's going to happen. One of my favorite action movies as a younger man was Point Break, which oh, yeah. for those who don't. Oh, know, my God. That, don't shut up. You shut your mouth, sir. You shut your mouth. <laughs> and, and that's Catherine. That's Catherine. Catherine Big- Bigelow and surfing. Yes. Shut up. And the thing is. You know, people say, like, you know, they want people to do, like, you know, like, women women should be. Of course, now we have, you know, Gina Prince-Blackwood, who, who this past year, you know, did an action movie. But the thing is, like, when I was watching Point Break, I didn't know it was a woman director. But when I found that out, I was like, it was very evident that this woman loves fucking action movies. Because right. Point Break was just like, oh, shit, that chase through the backyard. He threw a fucking pit bull at my man. I was just <laughs> like... <laughs> this woman loves action movies like I love action movies. Right. So I actually thought like what I hope this does is that like people see that if you get a Regina, it doesn't have to be a, a, a romantic comedy mm-hmm. or like a movie called this. Like she can take this most testosterone laden situation and execute it. And you should see her as a director, period. You know period. what I mean? A director for all the movies. I mean, and that's what happened with Catherine Bigelow, I think. I think that's what's happening, fortunately, for Chloe Jaw, who did Nomadland and is doing Eternals. It's mm-hmm. like when you step out of your immediate group in your in your early films, it's it says something. You know what I'm saying? Like it just I don't know. I just I was th- I found myself as we were making this film thinking about Catherine Bigelow and Point Break. 
Catherine was one of like, the great ones. Like she, you know, was, I was like, Gina's about to. Like they're like, oh, isn't that cute? Another actor is directing a movie, and I'm like, yeah. man, y'all about to get roundhouse kicked in the head. They don't even yeah. know, right? You know, like when she brought on the team, and she was like, you know, you know, she brought on Tarek Anwar as an editor, who, you know, he was the editor of American Beauty and The King's Speech. Right. You know right. what I mean? When she brought on Tammy Riker, who had actually just shot The Old Guard with um, Gina Prince Bythewood, like. She just started pulling this team together, and and a smart director, a good director, pulls together a, a bomb ass team, exactly. you know. And and just watching all the people, the pieces come together, and then Terrence Blanchard came on board to score, and right. you're just going like, oh yeah, this this right. is people are gonna see. This is no yeah. pet project. So so you doing two things simultaneously. Let's get into to Soul because. Like yeah, how did that, that come about with Pixar? Yes, yes. Oddly enough, they're intertwined. Um, they read my play one night in Miami and wanted to meet me. So here's what happened. Um, yeah, tell it, tell it. After, after I left Star Trek Discovery, um, I, I worked in a couple of other, you know, I've sold shows that didn't get made, and I've worked in rooms on shows that haven't been made as well. So... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I tend to vacillate back and forth between doing Hollywood stuff and doing stage stuff. So immediately after Discovery, I probably spent a year and a half just in the theater world. I wrote a new play, got that play produced. You know, like I was just kind of enjoying doing a theater thing and, and kind of moving back and forth. And my agent, you know, he asked me, like, what what do you want to do? What would interest you in fe- in the feature world? And it was my feature agent because I have my TV guy who's like, obviously, there's shows that invite me to work on them and and stuff like that. But in features, I was like, honestly, man, I was like, I'm looking for something to do something original. And as we all know, if you say original, they're like, oh, well, everything is based on existing IP. You know what I mean? You you hear all the reasons why what you want is impossible and you should do this instead. But because I had other stuff I was doing, he was like, "Okay, cool. So I didn't even know he submitted anything to Pixar. Um, until they reached out and wanted to meet me. And the thing you have to understand is that, you know, as a sample, I specifically asked my agent, do not share my episode of Star Trek Discovery as a sample for anyone. I was like, I don't want that going out. Um, and, and my reasoning being, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's, it's as much written by everyone. And it just didn't, it wasn't my voice. Wasn't you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're, yeah, it's a big name show, but it's not indicative of what I'm capable of. So that then put him in kind of an uncomfortable position because all he really had to share were my plays and TV pilots I'd written that weren't made. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but that's what he had to work with. So Mm -hmm. he actually shared my play One Night in Miami. Um, The folks at Pixar were interested in bringing on a new writer. They asked if I had anything comedic. And he shared a pilot that I'd, I'd sold a show to FX that didn't get made, but I'd written a pilot that was, was really good. He shared that. And based on that, that's what they invited me um, up there to meet with. I think I was one of three or four writers they were considering. Okay. I was, um, was going to ask you that. Like, how, oh, yeah, I know. How many more? I don't even I only know who one of the other writers were, but all of them were like writers on big shows. Let's mm. put it that way, like big shows like Westworld and, and all that stuff like that. So I kind of went up there just kind of like, okay, well, I'm probably not going to. And again, it's so like, I don't know. I can't count how many times in Hollywood I've pitched producers and I've had this passionate take. And I'm just like, I, I know I can do this. There's no mm-hmm. one better 
um, you know, at, at telling a story than me just to find out that like a writer on a big show gets the job, you know? And, um, and, and again, it, it's, it's just it's, happened to it, me on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Tuesday. just it's never been yes. discouraging to me, yes. but it's just something that I noticed. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, well, if this doesn't work out, I guess it's not going to work out. But like, this is how people need to understand how many failures you have before you have a success. Right. And right. I just lucked out in that Pixar didn't give a shit about what show you've been on. All they cared about was the writing on the page. Right. So based on just my writing, they were like, OK, this is the writer we want to work with because, you know, he has such a strong voice. You know, mm -hmm. and his strong voice is evident in everything that we're reading. Um, and and that was it. That's how I, I you know, I initially came on board. Um, it was supposed to be um, a 12 week um, writing gig. Um, 12 weeks turned into a year, a year <laughs> turned into co-director. And two years later, like, you know, and, and it was about like just putting my all as I always do putting my all into into trying to make this film better. Hold on. There's a pot of red beans and rice there if you want some. Oh, okay. Just letting you know. My son got my son. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. I'm uh, jealous. How dare you say that in the middle of the thing? You could have just you could have just you could have just muted yourself and, and and went and went off screen and said that because now I'm sitting there thinking, I want some red bean and rice. <laughs> and you didn't even show us the pot. Like I'm like, I, I was man, going to man. camera and everything. He could have turned the camera around. Just let me look at it. Like if I can't smell it, it's like I could just see it. <laughs> so what I gotta do with this. <laughs> I know. So but you know, it was just it happened very naturally and organically. Um, and I credit a lot of that with just kind of being away from the mothership, so to speak, being up in Emeryville. And it was kind of like art camp. Um, all their, Pixar is always making like six or seven films at a time. And all the writers are kind of people like me, people who are new to Pixar, who were there to work on a film. So the writers kind of form a bond. You know what I mean? So I'm meeting other writers and there's often indie right Other playwrights were there. You know, um, you know, one of my... Uh, you know, like Jesse, the, the writer of this great indie film, um, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. He was up there working on a Pixar movie. Um, Julia Cho is one of my favorite playwrights, a Korean player she's working on. So you've got this, like, suddenly you're in this kind of club of writers, um, and they're all excellent writers. And, and you're just like, you're kind of just doing your thing, and it's all top secret. So mm -hmm. there's nothing you can share with anyone. You're, you're, it's the epitome of being in the lab. You know, and that's what I said. People are like, what are you up to? I'm like... Oh, I'm just in the lab. And you know how it is in LA. If you're just like, I'm, I'm in the lab. They're like, okay, I'm not interested in you anymore. Exactly. So you're just kind of left alone to just build for, for a couple of years. And, yeah. and, um, and it was great. I think I was just, maybe I was just the right guy for the right time. I don't, I don't know what it was, but the character story they wanted to tell about this middle-aged man who finally has his break and then dies and fights to get back to his body because he has this dream. It resonated because it felt like it was me. You know, like not just the fact that he was the same age as me from New York, like me. You know what I mean? Like it was like so much. I was like, OK, this is almost creepy. It's like you guys want to tell. <laughs> Wait, did you get nervous? That, did you get nervous, Kent? Like, OK. Yeah, like it, it, was, it was that. Deep. Like and they were like, well, the character isn't developed yet. I'm like, well, I've got plenty of material to develop this character. And I literally just pour my life into it. You know, like the conversation Joe Gardner has with his mom is like. Literally the conversation I had with my mom, you know, like you're just pouring your personal experience. And again, it was my agent hearing me say, I want to do something original. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the only places where it's like original stories pulled out of thin air is actually Pixar. Right. Um, so in, in animation, it's so funny. Like, again, I, I feel like I have to try to explain to people that I'm not, I'm, there's, there's no one way to do anything. But in my experience, when I go to events, group events, particularly group events geared at writers of color, mm-hmm. and, and I know this is a generalization. I'm not trying to offend anyone. Tell them. I, I feel like <laughs> I am being given advice on how to get a job. Okay. And I don't want advice on how to get a job. I want to get advice on how to have a career. Right. Very, very different things. Right. Sometimes the very things that get you a job fuck up your career. And the job itself (laughs) fucks your career. Because, yeah, you'll get. (laughs) People are not going to fuck with you after that job. Facts. So I just really, I'm more of like, I'm already middle-aged. I don't have 15 years to dick around doing bullshit and lying to people and do like I can only be my honest. Listen, listen, Kemp, you grown. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, listen. And so I'm I'm really like I don't I have I have to be honest about what I want to do and focus on doing those things. You know, it involves for years having just a really tight budget, never going just when you when you get that job, your budget doesn't yep. change. It don't it, change it, your lifestyle. You know, like you got to manage your life. So you got to, you know, businessman, you got to do a lot of different things um, to, to kind of try. But I was always building towards um, a, a career. And, um, you know, the mentors, people who kind of helped me along. I, I just feel like when I try, when I'm asked to give advice in those types of settings, I never think my advice is well received because people tend to think like they want a quick, easy answer. Right. I actually listened to the Writers Guild. You know, when we get into, when you get into the Writers Guild, first they sit us all down and they tell us, welcome to the Guild. It's harder statistically to get into here than to be a pro baseball player. And I hear that because I'm going back and I'm saying, okay, if you go and speak to a public school and ask them what they want to do when they say be a pro athlete, you'd be like, you better have a backup plan. So, and what we do (laughs) is statistically... Harder than being a pro athlete. So to me, it's all impossible. You know what I mean? So there's never going to be an, if anyone gives you an easy answer, an easy solution to any problem, you should treat it as a lie. Because (laughs) nothing in this business is ever going to be easy. And for every success, you're lucky if you've only got a dozen defeats. You know, it's usually more than that. And and that's the thing is that I just, I want to build a career. I want to be like, noted for my writing i want people to be like and and often when you're a writer of color people try to put you other people of color will try to put you in a box you want to be identified as a tv writer or if you write film a certain kind of film the people on my vision board aren't i are are not boxed in that way i'm a Mm -hmm. huge fan of writers like um john logan is a great example because people are like pixar how'd you end up at pixar that's animation you don't do animation i'm like well, John Logan wrote Red, is one of my favorite plays. He yep. wrote Skyfall, and then he wrote fucking Rango. So, like, how are you going to – you see what I'm saying? But if you're right. – so I'm just – I'm not aspiring to anything different than the mm-hmm. people I look up to are just doing. Yes. So when people try to put you in those, like, you got to be a specialist in this or you got to do that, I'm not hearing any of that because 
I'm speaking to people who are, who are literally showing me that that's nonsense. And again, these are people with careers and mm-hmm. it's interesting, like the way my day and the way my week work, cause you know, I'm promoting these films now and it's, and it's exhausting, but fun and you're excited, but people forget that like the films have both been done for a while. I've already been back in the lab. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So like, I'm already like deep, deep into other stuff. And it's just like the way my day is spaced out and how I use my time. It's a combination of like doing this passion project, um, being a part as much as you can of like helping other writers break their projects, you know, because there's the there's often a thing that happens where there are high level rooms and they bring in writers. And it's, it's not a ton of money, but it's a great opportunity to just interact with your peers creatively because yeah. so much of what we're doing is is so isolated and lonely that whenever i have a really cool opportunity to like spend a week helping try to like solve some problems with some other writers i love i love doing stuff like that mm-hmm. and 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 i found that like the benefits of that are immeasurable too because again i'm learning that it's not to get out of my own head and not yeah. always have it be about me like how to help other people execute their ideas. And again, this is all towards, it's not about a job. Again, it's all things that I just think help me be a more well-rounded creative and just hopefully have a career for at least as long as I want to do this. Right. I'm saying yes to a lot of things, yeah. it sounds like, too. Yeah. Go ahead, Lisa, do your thing. I was mm-hmm. going to say, no, you can say, you, I was gonna say, I'm just being, I'm just putting it out there. So, Kemp. What what are you wearing to the Oscars when you're nominated for two different categories? <laughs> you gotta stop saying that. You're putting the and do and do you I'm need not, and do you I'm need a date? Do you need someone that. to sit there and like sit there and and tell you you know what we hear? <laughs> do you need me to be a bodyguard to say stand back? Stand back. To be real, the only thing I am pretty confident we will get is I'm, I'm pretty confident that Soul should get at least nominated for animated feature. Oh, oh God. I would if, it's, be if, it's, if it's not, I would be shocked. And I, and, would, and I mean, and it just, I'm so proud of the film, but I feel like, come on, man. Like, I, I have to believe that it would be considered one of the five best animated movies of the listen, year. Listen, listen, I'm so, telling you right now. Listen, yes. I'm telling you right now. You're going to be nominated for two different categories. And you need to come to terms with that. And you need to hire not, me to tell people to stand back. Okay, the power of price compels you. You know what I recommend? I think you both. Here's what you. Here's what I prescribe. Both of you go watch the Christopher Guest film for your consideration. You know what I mean? And that's listen. And I'm not trying to be no Marilyn Hack with a with a job on her face crying at the TV. I'm just doing my business. You know what I'm saying? Like I am. Whatever happens, we're already blessed. Well, I'm already happy. I'm already satisfied. I'm already down the road on the next couple of things. So you can say that all you want to, but I'm just letting you know it is in the universe. What is you wearing and what extra ingredients are you going to splurge on to put in the red beans and rice? I have no sense of wearing anything because it's not a plan. So, um, hey, yeah. Kim, yeah. she want to know is you is or is you ain't my baby? That's what she yeah. wants to know. <laughs> Yep, I'm not planning to be wearing okay. nothing it's, except these sweatpants I got on under this shirt. You that you can't see because yeah. that's what's going to probably be the case anyway. Everyone's going to sweatpants right now. Listen, you know <laughs> we're going to be you know in in lieu of dress shoes. I'll have these on like I do. Wrong folks. Yeah. Going over. 
So he walking I, through with his Crocs on. Listen, yeah, listen. Got my house shoes. <laughs> what I like about you, Kent, is Crocus the fact apps. that the <laughs> fact is that your not only your trajectory, but the things that interest you and the types of films. Because the because most people would think <clears throat> doing animation, doing something like One Night in Miami, doing all these other different things, for someone to talk about Catherine Bigelow and Point Break, like that just tells me the talented that we have in blackness and how <laughs> black people are all of that because when I hear people talking about Catherine Bigelow or Point Break or any of those films where it's like action and, and I feel like I get you like as soon as you said that it's like okay this brother is really one of those who's like one into story character understanding it's about the work itself it's not about all the frou-fra and all that other fancy stuff. It's about telling a quality story with really great characters because Point Break is one of those ones. It's like, if you don't know what Point Break is, I am so sad for you, uh-huh. but, <laughs> but it's one of those flicks where and, and, and it, it, even with just Catherine Bigelow. And in terms of you even talking about, you know, Regina King going into this trajectory of, of women and, and different people coming and breaking different stories. I just feel like, what, what is next for you? I know you can't tell us a lot because they probably have you hemmed up in secrecy, but the fact that you talk about Catherine Bigelow, Point Break, all these different things, is there something you can tell us in terms of passion projects you would like to do? Sure. So we can, kind mean, of, so we can get into a little bit, so we can get into your head a little bit more that you can sure. actually tell us without them knocking on your door like the FBI and taking you out from Pixar <laughs> or someplace else. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, a couple of things that I'm doing, I mean, I'm directing one thing. That's one thing I'm doing. I want to continue to hone my skills as a director. Like I said, I was a co-director on Soul, and then I'm looking for. I, I was looking for good opportunities to do more of that. So one thing that I'm doing is I'm directing one thing. Is um, it animation? Or are you doing? It's animation. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm directing gotcha. another animated feature. Awesome, um, awesome. And then I'm also in the midst of. I just actually turned in the first draft of a script of a new feature, um, and it is it is another historical feature. It's but it's based on a book. It's actually based on a book that won a uh, Pulitzer, um, and I've been doing an adaptation of that for the past um, six months. So we're working on that. So if all goes well, um, you know, and and I, you know, you got to land a plane, of course. If if we get okay. to the the, the the revisions are good and everything like that, hopefully it's some that's something that would get shot in late 2021 with an eye towards a 2022. So um, those are the two like big priorities. Um, I, I have another thing that I can't, I got to be vague about that I'm planning to write. Um, <laughs> that, that's a, and, um, and, and honestly, you know, there's a, there's a deal that hasn't been completed yet for a potential of me doing a, a franchise project later this year. Nice, nice. But I, but I can't like, we'll have to see how the deal, how the deal comes together. Um, but you know, I've been, I've been largely, the reason I've had to say no to 95% of the people who've reached out right now is because again, I was already busy on these things before the past month when these movies came out. Like I've been on the directing gig, um, since, um, August, like July or July or August I've been, so I'm actually kind of well into production on the animated film. Um, and we have a pretty hard deadline for that. And similarly, you know, I've already finished a draft of the film script. So, you, you know, it's a Hollywood's a funny kind of beast. And, you know, there's when audiences get a hold of things, 
but word kind of percolates when you have a project that people are hearing things about. So, you know, you, you, you're already having certain kinds of meetings. And, right. and, and again, the, the thing that both of these projects have in common is that I am like, I get like super excited and passionate about them. You know what That's, I mean? Yes. To the point that like, the I'm passion. like, oh man, I can't wait till people see what yes. with this right, like, right, feel yes. like a little kid almost right and, and it's and it's motivated by that you're just like oh man wait till wait till people see this or i can't wait to see the look on people's faces when or, or like oh man can you imagine when this dude says this and when he does that or when she does this like oh and you just you get like it's like that level of enthusiasm it's an enthusiasm for just sharing a story it's not an enthusiasm look i i, I being perfectly honest this pandemic has been a nightmare but one positive, if I can glean one positive, I actually kind of have preferred doing these virtual release parties in my house. <laughs> and Listen, with your nice house slippers yeah, I mean, and your I, red I beans buy, I, it's, I'm not an anti, I'm actually a sure. very social guy, but as, in general, in big groups, I kind of fall into the background. I am not much of a drawing attention kind of guy. I'm just kind of like, you know, like not <laughs> having to be out and about is, has yeah. been kind of a bit of a relief for, mm-hmm. for me right now, because I've just been able to, like, we, we had a great release for one night in Miami Thursday night where they mm-hmm. sent us a package with like drink mixes and ice cream. Oh, oh shut up. up. So shut I, I put up. the movie on. And I was like shit faced before we hit play. I had like, <laughs> two, you know what? I already had like two Mai Tais. And I what was kind of ice cream did you have? What kind of ice cream did you have? It was actually from this brother's ice cream. They they were so dope about it. It was like this brother makes this ice cream. It was vanilla, but it was salty vanilla. Yes. And it had like they sent all the toppings, including rainbow sprinkles. It was like they were in my childhood. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with like. Carvel rainbow sprinkle setup, drinking Mai Tais. And, and you I don't was, remember nothing. You don't remember yeah. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that, to so me, that was like a dream opening. And yes. people were just in the chat on the side, and I'd sent, uh, you. it was weird. Like, you only got, like, two, two plus ones. So one I had sent to my mom back uh-huh. east. Yes. And my mom was having a field day because, you know, <laughs> was, my mom is attending a Hollywood opening and she's right. in photos on the virtual red carpet. And my oh, sister right. suddenly is in the next photo. Then my brother's in the next photo. I'm like, uh-huh. is everyone coming to your house? Everybody so, is here. <laughs> I like that. That's good. So, Kim, Kim, my, my like, final, it sounds like there's so many great. I have another question after you. Yes. I, my final question for you, Kim, is what are some of the new skill sets from from moving into directing animation, from play, from playwriting and working with plays? Like, what are some of the new skills that you have gathered working with Pixar that you're going to use later on? Because I feel like you're another director writer that's on the, on the, on the come up. And I just want to know what are some things that you have, have gathered in your mojo bag that you're taking with you? And then I'll just, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I got to say, like, you know, Pixar is um, it's the house of like master storytelling, like having been there for several years and, uh, you know, it's family now. um, I can say that I get why it's been a a breeding ground for so many people in Hollywood for so many years, because, as you said, there is a commitment to story on a base level. How many times has someone been writing something and they've just been like, oh, man, I can't. They're writing towards that one joke. 
You know what right. I mean? Like, right. And, and the odd thing about Pixar movies, you remember them for being so funny. Most of the time we're working on them, the jokes aren't even in there. We're oh not even. God. If you see an early reel of a Pixar movie, you'll be like, there's literally nothing funny here. <laughs> it's right. because we are right. 100% committed to story. Exactly. Story is king. And to have to write in this environment where, let's be completely honest, if you aren't doing it well and promoting the story forward, you, generally a Pixar film has seven to nine reels. That's like a full 2D story with scratch of the whole movie that gets played for the whole. And, and, and they cycle through a lot of writers. That's why Soul is unusual in that there's just three credited writers. You look right. at something like Toy Story, you'll see eight or nine writers credited. Correct. Um, Correct. What you don't understand from seeing some of those movies is that a lot of writers, it's like fired, 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 <laughs> fired. Because you have maybe one or two screenings to kind of lock in and move the story forward. And, mm. until, and at that point, it's kind of like, okay, we got to try someone new. There's no time in pain and it's, and it's not personal. There's no time and you gotta move the project forward. Mm. And if you don't move it forward from a story perspective, you gotta go. Mm. And um, to work in an environment like that, I, I mean, I've called it, people have interviewed me about it and I've called it like Navy SEAL school for screenwriters. Yep. Wow. You know what I mean? Most, yep. of, most of the people who go in are not gonna make it to the end. Right. Mm. And, just, and, it, and this is nothing worse. No one's mean, everyone is, but it is just you are being forced to work at a very high level. They didn't they don't need in my opinion, they shouldn't even need to put the exclusivity in the contract, because if you got to be a hell of an arrogant person to think you're going to be working on a Pixar movie and <laughs> a big project on the backside trying to right, sell right. TV shows, because the amount of focus it takes um, is borderline superhuman. Like, you know, it's the main reason why. I'm doing a few other, you know, like I had a great experience on Soul, but like I didn't want to go immediately back into development on another Pixar movie right away. You want to do what I wanted to do. A few, and, and a lot of us do that. You know, you'll notice like a Brad Bird or an Andrew Stanton, you know, you kind of cycle in. And, and there's right, no right. part of the doubts that in the future I won't go back and, and do a, another another Pixar film. It's just that like you're working at a level, man, that you should come out of it like a fucking Green Beret. And, oh and, and, and the assumption, I think, in the business, rightfully so, is if you've landed one of those planes, you're a Green Beret. So, okay. like, all of a sudden you find people, oh, well, you did a Pixar movie, so you might be a good candidate to talk to me about this. And they know you have a, you've been trained on problem-solving story in a certain way. Because the thing that the audience knows about Pixar is the beautiful animation. The thing the public doesn't know is that the animation isn't important from a story standpoint. If the film doesn't work in 2D storyboards right. with scratch actors, it's never right. gonna get animated. Right. You know, like you, it has to work on a story emotional level and when it's in reels. And that's the thing about Pixar that people don't realize, like when you see a Pixar film, every Pixar film I've seen, and I'm seeing most of them, you come out, with an emotional resonance that you don't get from other animated studios. I remember back in the day when, when creative, what was it? Uh, creative screenwriting magazine used to have their, um, down at the, um, the oh, State, expos, State Center, used to have their expos. Yeah. You could not get into the Pixar ones on story. 
And I remember listening to other people like, oh, we're just trying to hustle and get in here. But from jump, day one, Pixar was always about story, story, character, and getting that emotional core was everything. Absolutely. There's a book out. There's a book out on writing Pixar. It's really good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's been a couple written. <laughs> And here's the thing that people, and again, it's yet another thing that people don't want to hear. Because then the question is, well, how do I get an idea to them? Here's the reality. There's no way to get an idea to Pixar. <laughs> because here's the thing. Pixar doesn't invest in ideas. They told Say me that. They Say said, that. we invest in people. We invest in the artist. And mm. that's a major different way of thinking. Different. You could have a million dollar idea and Pixar's like, great, go somewhere with that. They don't give a shit. Pixar believes in finding an artist who ha they think has a vision and they invest in that artist so that no matter what your idea is, as crazy as what soul ended up being, they, mm -hmm. they're confident in you as an artist to let you give it a shot. That's mm -hmm. why Pixar makes these films that on paper seem insane. If you go back <laughs> and look at like the pitch for something like Up, Inside Out, Wall-E, Ratatouille, yes. Ratatouille. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you ask me to pitch these movies, they're the worst pitches in the world. They sound stupid. <laughs> it actually goes against all the logic we've learned. You know, mm -hmm. there's no elevator pitch for soul. In fact, when they asked me or Pete Doctor to do it, we're kind of like, well, we're not used to having the like our pitches involve the, the creative standing in a room with their peers for 45 minutes and mm -hmm. showing them pictures and doing, there's no elevator pitch for a, for a Pixar film. And it's because they don't invest in ideas. They only invest in people. So mm -hmm. it's about who you are and coming to believe that you can come up, you can approach the problem from a story point and that you have vision and you're coming from a personal place. They always ask, no matter what Pixar film it is, it always starts with a personal story. You know, a great example would be if you look at Onward, um, which was was in production at the same time as Soul. They came out first that it's been reported. So I don't I can repeat it. But, you know, it came from Dan Scanlon, the director, never having his father died um, when he was, I think, like an infant. So he never met his dad. So and there was one cassette tape that was like his mom and his relatives were having fun. And his dad, he found this cassette tape where his dad is on the tape at the end and they were like so-and-so say hi and he goes hi and they're like okay oh say God. hi that's almost emotional and you're all, and you see, you see? Uh, <laughs> you were already uh, about to uh, fucking cry uh, yes the tape that inspired dan scanlon to wow, tell the story that became onward oh, and that's man. what see what i'm saying yes so that's pixar Love and it. no meaning of anything and telling you how do i there's no notepad for you to do this, there's no advice I can give you. It's you. It's your emotion and your personal story powers your storytelling. And that's right up my alley because everything I do is powered by me. Love it. So, Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Oh, you know, anyone who has, I don't, the idea is not even precious to me. I'm like, I'll tell you specifically what I'm doing. Go out and steal it, but you can't steal it. <laughs> Because you have to steal. Yes. 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 Exactly. I, I yes. say that all the time. Shit. Yes. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. Yes. yes. Let me say this. Just piggybacking off of what you were talking about, they're all about Pixar. My question was kind of you were starting to go there and then you jumped onto something else. So my question was so people assume when you've done animation, you can't possibly do 
a real movie, right? And what they forget, which is why it's so good for you that the both of these came out exactly at the same time. Right. So you're like, that same motherfucker wrote that? Yeah. Right? Completely yep. different tones, yeah. completely different themes, right. et cetera, et cetera, right? Where I'm going with that is what, what I've learned is, and you just nailed it on the, on the head about how Pixar works, story, story, story. That means any room you go in, every executive, every producer knows you wrote a Pixar movie, which is the hardest thing in the world to write. Right. Right? So right. they all are like, you could probably run our TV show, can't you? Pretty much, yeah. Or, I mean? yeah. No, I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm being given, yeah. There, the assumption is that I at least could. I'll. I, I would. A lot of people would give me a shot based on that, and I would argue they should. You know, like they. I deserve to be given a shot exactly. <laughs> based on what we. What we and then again, it was a collective effort. But based on what we were able to accomplish together, we would. We should all be given a shot based on that, um, because um, you, you, you know it again. It's. It's not the idea, it's the execution. I can't tell you, going back to One Night in Miami, how many people told me I might as well give up now because of some other project that was tonally similar, that was already going to get made, and all none of those projects ended up getting made. Yep, I hadn't even finished the script, and I've had people tell me, like, oh, well, executives say, like, mm -hmm. oh, well, this, this show on the... This is going to be on Showtime, so you might as well forget it. You know, yep. I don't know what motivates people to do these things, but you have to have a kind of like, I don't care who comes out first or exactly. with what. It's just about you don't know what I'm trying to do because it's the execution, not the idea. Exactly. If you, that scenario of the four of them in a room together, neither one of you would write the same movie that I wrote. You'd write a different movie. Oh, Maybe it'd be a better movie. Maybe it'll be worth. Who knows? But it wouldn't be the same thing. No. And here's the interesting thing. I've talked about that. I know you, you got to go soon. I talk about this a lot on my show about when I first wrote, um, I think, you know, the, the Sylvester, you remember, uh, Lisa, so I wrote, you know, the, the, right. the singer Sylvester. The reason I wrote that story was because I used to hang out at the coffee shop before I ever had an office. And Lance Black, who wrote Milk, would sit across from me and we would talk every day. You know, and every weekend for like, like once a month, he'd be gone up to San Francisco researching milk. And one day I was like, where are you? Where are you doing? Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, I'm working on this movie, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, milk, milk. I was like, I could have swore I heard there's like two or three other movies like that. Why are you doing that? Thinking like Hollywood. Yes. And he said this, which I will never forget. He said, Hilliard, nobody's going to write it the way I'm going to do it. So not cocky. But just mm -hmm. confident, like what you're talking about. Yeah. And then the, here's the other part he said. You got to be first. You feel me? That yep. shit put me to tears. Yeah. To tears. A yeah. year later, he was up there going, thank you very much for my Oscar. A year later. Right. You know what I mean? And right. that's why I was like, exactly what you're saying, Kemp. Follow your nose, so to speak, <laughs> as, as, as the Fruit Loops thing would say. Yeah. Right? You got to go with your gut, and quite frankly, somebody very well might come out with that project before you. But right. you have to write because guess what? It could also be a sample for you because that script has not been done yet, but it's been a sample for me, and I've gotten four or five jobs from that script. Exactly. I'm literally telling you that the biggest job of my life I got from a script that didn't get made. Crazy. You know, like so, and and my stage play that a lot of people think didn't work as a stage play because nothing happens. 
So I'm, I'm telling you, man, like you gotta, everyone, it's so weird. Like I've spoken to a lot of students and I, one thing it's so hard, I, I, I've always done it as a favor for a friend. Cause as a rule, I actually don't enjoy doing it because I just, people have a hunger for advice that I don't tend to give because so much of it is not sexy. Um, <laughs> there's no guarantee of success. Yep. Even if you do everything, here's mm-hmm. the thing, even if you do everything right and don't ever speak to another person, you're going to still have enemies at the end of the day. You can't control it. You, you will just, I, I mean, the, the biggest benefit of me as a, as a human being is that I tend to like just keeping my head down. Mm. And therefore, I don't have to hear so much of the noise going around. So I can't even judge people for the noise affecting them so much because it is so noisy. It's so easy to be distracted. And I was having a conversation with a very good friend of mine. And I, and I, I thought about it because I was like, I think of all the potential distractions that would have tripped me up on the path to getting One Night in Miami made if I had listened and let it affect me. And there were so many of them, Hilliard. It was like, I'm talking like uh, over a dozen that I'm like, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that, and any one of them would have just stopped it dead in its tracks. Just stopped it dead in its tracks. And, 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 uh, and it's like, it's none of it, I would say maybe one of them might have been vindictive. But most of those people were just kind of doing their thing, which is like, oh, that's cool. I want to be a part of it. Or I want to be kind of help you, but also by helping you help me. You know what I mean? Like there's the there's the natural desire or and, and, and it's so weird because like I have a I have a group of fellow creatives and people who aren't creatives who have always been there for me. Um, and they've and they've been like a really solid peer group that, that I that I will share and ask advice for. And the group. I've, I've found that as I, I've been building new peers in this business, as I've moved through it, and the only the reason why these people have become my peers that I trust is that I love their shit and they love my shit. That's the key. You know, key. when I didn't have shit and I'm not like, you know, some of them have become names, but it's just mm-hmm. like I didn't have any shit to share. But now yeah. they've, I've got some shit to share and they're like, oh, I love your shit. And it's like, oh, cool. I know you. I love your shit, too. And mm-hmm. we have conversations and it's like, I dig this. Like, there's like this is a person I can kick it with. And um, but a lot of my peers are the people who were in the trenches with me the whole time. I mean, it's never everyone who knows me knows that, like the two dirty words for Kemp. One hustle. I mm-hmm. hate the word hustle. I don't mm-hmm. hustle. I fucking work. There's a difference. Hustle, <laughs> hustle implies the other dirty word. Yes, it's something sly. Something yeah, sly. hustle yeah. implies networking. The other dirty word. I fucking <laughs> hate that word, networking. Because networking is like, sir, spare a dollar. Do me a favor. Take, me, take me under your fucking wing. Here's right. the reality. My mentors, I, I mentioned to play red. I, everyone should read the play Red. Okay, right. it's it's about you know a famous artist um, and and his uh, his apprentice whose job is literally to mix the fucking red paint. You know what I'm saying? And it's a two person play. The original production was at the Dunmar Warehouse with um, Alfred Molina and Eddie Redmayne. Okay, wow. um, 
And, and he tells the dude when he hires him, he was like, he was like, so what do you do? The kid's like, I'm an artist. He's like, okay, you should know. I'm not here to be your fucking mentor. I'm not here to critique your art. If you ever pull your fucking art out, you're fired. You're here to mix the fucking paint. <laughs> Dude, that is the best mentor you can ever have. Because you know what? You should be being mentored through osmosis. You should. No one's here to answer your fucking questions. If you just shut your mouth and listen by being around these people, you can glean a lot of shit. So my, my big mentors, I have a few who were like, it was a mentor-student relationship, but most of the mentors were people I worked for or worked with who didn't realize they were mentoring me. I told that's, that's, you, that's, that's how you do it. as a writer, and mm -hmm. Pete Doctor made me his co-director. At no mm -hmm. point did he train me to be his co-director. I just spent my time watching a master director do his job. Right. And learn from that. And in my spare time, which I have very little of, spent my day hours going from department to department asking people what they did. And anyone who was gracious enough to let me see what they were doing, I learned it. So that at a certain point, you know, it was, it's, I, I jokingly mentioned the karate kid, but that's how it is. You got to wax the fucking floor, you got to paint the fence, and one day you wake up and you know karate. Can't, so, can't. Can't. I'm going to put, put it on the t-shirt and it's going to say mix the fucking paint. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> if that's the one thing we can glean from, from camp today, don't come to me and ask me for no shit. You just, just mix the fucking paint. And, and the thing is, like, I am gracious. Like, I got close friends who are also in this business and we have a hard time making time for one another. You know, like I actually want to read all my friends scripts and these are like movies getting made. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've, I've got my computer. If you look at the bottom, you'd see two scripts. And these are like big projects that friends mm -hmm. of mine have written. And they're like, I just want to get your two cents. And yeah. I want to give them their two cents. So, again, no one did that shit for me. The people who read my shit when I was younger were my friends. And they were like, not friends I met in a group. They were legitimately my friends. Right. We're also, we were all kind of struggling along and doing the same thing. So don't underestimate your peer group. You know what I mean? Like, but in terms you never of know who somebody's going to be. Yeah. You know? right. I just wanted to ask, say one little, one little piggyback. I've said this several times in my show before, but uh, we were talking about the mentor thing. I get once a week, three or four people asking me to mentee them. Three or four people. I don't people. know what that means. What does that mean? Let me go. Let me get, let me get to the point. <laughs> so when we were able to meet, I would say, okay, come by the office. We're about to do the podcast. Come meet Kemp or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. This is when we don't have the Rona, right? Somebody would come by and I would watch them. And, and well, you know, Lisa, how many, how many writers have I had come in here? Dozens, right? And they would All come right. in here and they would sit and just watch. And I'd be like, that's not the one. Mm -hmm. And then we'd have somebody, we'd be sitting here doing the panel. Somebody would be out of the water. They'd just get up and go grab a water and refill it, Right. So I always say to everybody, the best mentee for me is if I pick, if I drop it, you pick it up. Mm -hmm. That means I needed something. Yeah. So you helped, you saw something was missing. Right. So you helped me. Yeah. Whatever it was, you noticed something was needed. That's a good person. That's mm -hmm. the person I'm going to go out of my way and go, what do you do? Right. Oh, I'm like, oh, you know what? I got 10 minutes. Let me take a look at the first 10 pages. It's like that old school you feel me? Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. like that old, you just do it. 
you learn the craft, you're there, blah, 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 blah. And then you just, you just get it from being there. And I think that's a hard, like you said, Kemp, that's hard for a lot of people to grapple with because they expect some kind of like instant magical thing that happens. And if I get a mentor, they're going to like reveal all the keys of the kingdom. And that's not, that's not how it You still got to do it yourself. I mean, I, one of the worst mistakes I ever made was once when I needed an assistant. I, I made the awful mistake of posting on social media that I needed an assistant. Oh boy. <laughs> and again, it was just, it was this weird thing. The reason I needed an assistant, it was because I was overwhelmed. You know, like there was so much stuff, I couldn't keep track of it. And most of the people who reached out, it was like, I would have, it would have been a part-time job for me to have them as, as my assistant. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So in the end, I got, I just ended up, I didn't even realize I could do that. I just like went back to Disney and was like, yo, can I get an assistant? And they just gave me one, oh, you know? Nice. And mm-hmm. so like it, at the end of the day, it got rectified, but I was mm-hmm. kind of starting to get stressed because people were coming at me in a way that was just like, oh man, like you're, I'm, I'm, I need an assistant to have less work. And you're like, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? And I, and I, yeah. I just think that, no, exactly it, what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, like it's a, it's a very strange, um, you, you know. Here, I go, here's a being a writer for all these. One of the things, and, and again, I learned so much. You talk about intangible things. That was the other awesome thing about Pixar is that you're around other Pixar writers. In many cases, these are writers who've written other Pixar movies. Right. So I remember once like sitting in one of the other writers. We all have our offices, but sometimes like if it's slow, we'll go and like kick it with each other. And I was sitting in one of the writer's offices and it was probably about um, six months or so before Soul was originally supposed to come out. And the writer was like, um, so have you hired a publicist yet? And I was like, well, well, no. I mean, why do I need to hire a publicist? You know, we're a Disney movie. And they were like, oh, all the writers hire their own publicists. Let it be known. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I wouldn't have even thought of doing that. And so I called my agent and I actually had my agent interview several publicity firms. And then like they picked out the best ones. I went and I met with them and I, and I hired my PR firm. And it was one of those things where it was like, it's an investment in yourself. It's also protection. It's creating a firewall, you know, mm-hmm. like we interacted directly because I know you already, right, but right. everyone else, I just forward everyone to PR, but it also is allowing you to do the thing that you're not set up to do as a writer, which is advocate for yourself. Right. It, it allows you to be creative too and, and right. let them focus and on let the them business. Deal with right. Have that let buffer. them make sure yeah. you don't get yeah. forgotten. Let them worry about all the, you know, managing so that you don't do too much. Like all those things that like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with it. They're dealing with it. And it's actually also, Everyone in the creative industries, and this includes theater, your success and failure, a lot of it is you, but you also need people advocating on your behalf. That is a huge part of it. That's the closest thing to networking, I can say, is that there need to be people out there who will advocate for you. So again, how do you lose even when you win? If you come out of a certain situation and technically you've won, but then there's no one who will advocate for you, then you fucking lost. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's again, job versus career. Right. Is who will advocate for you? And it's not like, will you advocate? It's not something you ever ask someone mm-hmm. to do. But when it comes to the business side, your agent, your lawyer, your money manager, your publicist, 
These are all people who were the people you've hired to be your business advocates mm-hmm. in a way that you can't. And of course, you can't initially afford it. But as soon as you can afford it, you add these elements and you get these people on your team. And don't worry about how. And again, this is like this is information I'm sharing with you. Most people don't even Give know. It Give Most it to them. Yeah. No idea that I have. A, and then, you know, surprise, mm-hmm. almost all the writers I know work with publicists. Right. Almost it's, all it's of them. <laughs> so I was just going to tell everybody, you can look this up online. There's a story from John Travolta when he was on um, Welcome Back, Carter. I think he was making like three or five grand a week or something back in the 70s. And he told it, he went into his agents like, I want to be a superstar. What do I need to do? He's like, you need to hire a publicist. Mm-hmm. How much is that? Five grand a week, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. It was about as much money as he was making. Yep. And what happened? He was the only one on the cover of TV magazine, this magazine, the only one, because he went and spent his money on that. Yeah. You notice if you follow my social media, it's boring. I don't post nothing. You know what I mean? You never (laughs) see me talking about, hey, guys, look at this project. Like, I'll post the bare minimum because I have publicists who are like, I it you just don't I don't have to do it. I mean, honestly, I wish I could be off social media completely. But the, we're in this strange world where, like, if you are off social media, it's too easy for people to create fake accounts, right. you know. But, like, my publicists were the ones who, like, went to Instagram and, like, oh, we noticed you don't have a check mark on your Instagram. We'll take yeah. care of that. And the next yeah. day there was a goddamn check mark on my Instagram. <laughs> like, they just went and yep. took care of it to make sure. And, and it's just, like, managing things because there's bullshit that's going to come rolling your way and you just want to have – a protective layer. That's why, as a rule, I don't respond to anyone on social media for anything unless I know them. So even if you say it's great, I won't even respond thanks because it's all bait and switch. It's all bait and switch as far as I'm concerned. So I won't even say thank you unless I know you. You know what I mean? If you got a, if you got a check mark, you know what I'm saying? So like, you know, if Steve, when Stephen Van Zant said he loved One Night in Miami, of course I'm like, God damn, thank you, Stephen Van Zant, but like, because it's got a check mark, so I know it's really Stephen Van Zant, and I don't have to worry about being like scammed or something like that. I don't respond, and you might as well just not even bother with a DM. Like that's laughable. I haven't even opened that DM folder in years. Like. It's just the trash as far as I'm Wait, 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 wait. Your mama, your sister, and I'm trying to get in contact. Like, boy, boy, boy won't even answer the direct message. What's no, going on? And I am, he don't I answer the very, phone. Like, get very basic. Like, no, no, no. No interaction with no body. We're, like, we're trying to be like, you can't, like, you know what? We just shutting everybody down. <laughs> it's it's so preservation, man. I told you I'm not that kind of like. Um, you know, That's why you're going to be here for a long time. Of me, awesome. It's so easy through the proper channels. Right. It's so easy through the proper channels. And um, and you know that. because that was so Disney is funny because like when Soul came out, suddenly I got like emails from a few like pretty famous people. And mm-hmm. I, call, I called my agent. I was like, how did this person get my email? And they're like, that's just Hollywood. Like they call their rep and be like, get me fill in the blanks email. Yep. And they just get it. But that was a little, that was the new thing for me, just having like random people. But, but for the most part, it's just like, yeah, if I don't know who you are, um, I, I as a rule. And the thing is, because if you respond, and here's what it is, and this is what someone told me, a professional. 
is that if you respond to the positives, right, and then you don't respond to the negative, that's seen as your as your admission of guilt. Mm, interesting. So someone's saying you the bomb, you the bomb, and you're like, oh man, I love this. Da 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 da. So I hear you're also a rapist, and you don't respond. Then, in the world of Twitter and mobs, mm -hmm. your silence is capitulation to the mob. Interesting. Wow. So wow. if you're silent a hundred percent of the goddamn time. There's nothing to compare it to. So that's why I, I just stay the fuck quiet. So the only time you'll hear from me is in a situation like this, where we're having an interview, where I'm more than happy to talk about anything, you know, but I'm not fucking around with people. So, so Kim, I feel, I feel like we're so special now. The fact that you're here with us and you're not putting your buffers up like we didn't. No, 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 no. Didn't. I'm all happy to with you. You know what I'm uh, look, Hillier, I but you best cut, but you best come know, correct. Me like, and go back a couple years, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I went and spoke to one of our groups, and I had to reach out oh, to yeah. Hilliard on the side because that negative blowback oh, yeah. I told you about right. that yeah. shit happened so fast, and I, I was, and I felt bad because I was like, I am now regretting even trying oh, to help. Please don't, because it gave all of us a lot of gain. Yeah. Minus that person or I two. Know, but it was like, we but all knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I went out and literally was like, tried to like be like, yo, I want to like get more people involved and try to open doors. Right. And within tw 24 hours, I had someone writing me notes that were like, ca basically calling me all kinds of motherfucker, yes. you know, what? and I was just like, oh my God, like. It's not worth. So, can you even imagine what it must be like to be a fucking like Jamie Foxx or someone oh, like yeah. that, where people mm -hmm. like I'm just a writer. You guys know me because we're in the business, but people, I, I can, I can walk down the street and no one knows who I am. Right. So right. I can only imagine. And and you know what? It was the Jamie Foxes and the Regina Kings who sat me down and told me like, Kemp, don't read nothing. Don't even put your work out there. Don't worry about what anyone's saying about it. Don't read nothing, and for God's sake, don't respond to anybody. They were like, not even, even if it feels like, okay, I'm just going to respond to this one. They were like, don't even respond to that one. And wow. so I'm going to listen to people who spend decades and decades in the with business. Who also have millions of, of people following them. Yes. And, and <laughs> exactly. they're like, don't do it. Don't. And I'm like, okay, because there's been a few times where I'm like, people are like, Talking shit about your work, and you're like, Listen, let me just and, like, and Kim, ready, you ready to roll up? Like, look, don't let know, this Howard bite the Don't let me get the Howard kind of like, come up. You know, let me do an intelligent retort. Da da da. Yes. Kim's like, no, don't do it. That's don't don't you don't you do that, Kemp Powers? And I'm like, and she called me like it was a couple of days later. She was like, you didn't respond, did you? I was like, no, I didn't. She was like, okay, because I was worried about you. Like okay. I thought you were gonna like go off the edge. It's like, so the lesson Man. I'm learning here is just be like Greta Garbo. <laughs> yep. And just live your life like, mm, no yeah. matter what's yeah. said. You know. <laughs> well, Kim, I could talk to you all day because you give nothing but game. And yes. I fucking love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so thank you. I know you got like 10 more yeah, meetings. I got another today. thing to do. So yeah. we, we appreciate you. We love you. We were so fucking proud of everything you're doing. Yeah, thank um, you. 
And uh, we look forward to seeing you at the Oscars. Ha! Yes. Really? <laughs> Have that. Get that outfit. Start planning that outfit. <laughs> I'm not getting nothing. I'm, if I don't have it, if I if it does happen and I don't have anything to wear, it'll be because of you two. Oh, that's exactly. <laughs> and I'm, and and the good thing is this: I'll be able to talk shit on social media, and you ain't gonna say nothing. <laughs> you know what? I know. Now you know my secret. <laughs> so. Knowing that you're not really on social media, is there I am any on it. I am. I like I post things every now and then. Uh, I just I don't engage. Can you share with us what your social media is? Oh sure, sure. It's um it's power. It's P O W E R K E N I. That's both my Instagram and my oh, Twitter. Kenny. Yes, I actually we actually did a Twitter watch party for both Soul and One Night in Miami. That was a blast. Yeah, you know, yeah, okay. so yeah, I I do stuff and I. I drop a little behind the scenes and all that stuff. My point yeah. is I, I don't engage is what I'm saying. Can you at least retweet this for us when we post it tomorrow? Yes. Uh, I'll okay. retweet it. And by the way, just on a, hold on one second. On a side note, the Writers Guild episode comes on Thursday. I just found out. Oh, cool, cool. I'll be on yeah, the look. We, we did one with him on, on the Writers Guild, too. But yeah. go ahead, Lisa. No, I was just saying I noticed on the Amazon, too, they have that new thing where it's like you can have a watch party. So if you're watching um, One Night in Miami when you do watch it, because you are going to watch it, um, I just noticed that, like, they have it where you can click it and you can actually chat with other people who are watching the movie the same time as you are. And I thought that was such a cool thing to do because a lot of times you might be wanting to watch the film and you might be someplace in the world and, you know, it might be a different time zone, won't be able to hook up with people, but you want to talk about it as you're watching it. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought that was just a really neat thing that I just noticed on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So if you're watching it and you just want to, like, live chat as you're watching with other people from all over the place um check that out so i i mean like i said so my eyes are all messed up because of because you can't <laughs> <laughs> and the number of times i had to press pause and just just rest <laughs> and then come back to it so yes right. mission accomplished mm -hmm. that's what's up well thank you again Kent. man we love you lisa where you at girl well, I'm on What Fresh Hell Is This on Twitter, but they locked my account because I hadn't used it in so long. Because they're like, you don't exist. Because the thing about it, this was this. And this is so stupid. I started tweeting some stuff like a couple, like last week or something. And because I hadn't used it in so long and I was doing a bunch of tweets because of what happened in Washington, they were like, you are a fake person. You you must have been hacked. You're not. So, they got me so if I decide to come back, it's What Fresh Hell Is This, Lisa? Because like, you know what? The way this world is going. <laughs> let me watch let me watch my little one night in miami and watch my soul and get my spirit back together <laughs> to endure but it's what fresh hell is this lisa and i think it's what fresh hell it's what fresh hell is this and then it's what fresh hell is this lisa i believe on ig uh, who knows yeah, so Child, who knows it's something like that mm -hmm. um and i'm your host hilliard guest you guys can find me on twitter instagram i'm actually on fucking clubhouse now oh god <laughs> Um, yes, actually, it's really fascinating. It's really you would love Clubhouse. Oh, I know. I, you know what? They had Lacey Stamp, and I missed that one. That's the one I should have been on. Is Clubhouse <laughs> the one where you kind of like someone hosts you and then and you call in? Yes. Oh, you know what? Someone asked me to do that, and I was like, don't. hell no, don't. As I got a temper, man. Oh, yeah. I would just yeah. be flipping no. out on Clubhouse. <laughs> yes. I would be a hot then mess. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, don't, I'm not don't doing be a that. Hot mess. But um, I like it. I like it. Um, anyway, you guys can follow the show. Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. <clears throat> Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you guys listen to. We're everywhere. Um, you guys can find us out there. Um, follow us. Also go on our screenwritersrr.com. 
we have t-shirts and uh, hats and all kind of mugs and all kind of cool shit you guys could do. Um, again, shout out to Finish Line Script. Um, they are one of our sponsors. We appreciate them out there supporting us. <clears throat> and she said they just started. I'm going to blast this um, um, to – I'm probably going to do another thing about it. But she just Jenny, – Jenny Frankfurt just told me they just dropped their social impact competition. Mm. And you go to finish line uh, script comp dot com. Um, it's uh, their social impact social impact competition thing, and I'll, there'll be a link in the show notes for that. You guys can check that out. And again, Kemp, man, we appreciate you again. We know you're super busy out there. Yes. Thank you for keeping it real with us. Yeah. Thank you for keeping your word and coming on the show. Yeah. You know, because like you said, this time next year you can be like Hillier who. Um, and uh, <laughs> even though we're gonna be working on some shit by next year, so I ain't gonna worry about it. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate you, man, and um, keep doing good shit, representing us well. Yeah, you know, appreciate it. Sure. Yes. Anyway, join in with us, everybody. You know how we do it on the rant room. Yeah. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody. Wakanda forever. <laughs> Thanks again, Kim. See you, Lisa. Right. Talk yes. to you guys later. Ciao, ciao. Have a good one. Ciao, ciao. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the red room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no kata. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hillier. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. 